Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Treknababble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And we're going to be reviewing uh, Deep Space Nine's uh, Season 5, Children of Time, today. Um, this is a re- this is a fun episode, I think. It's, um, you know, uh, a conversation that we've had many times about uh, Deep Space Nine over the years is, you know, how much sci-fi uh, is in the show. And I'll agree, not a lot. I-, I don't think that's fatal to the show. I think it makes up in other areas, but this is definitely a science fiction story. Yeah, you know, time travel stories have been variously superb and variously head-scratching. Why are they doing this? Um, you know, we'll see where this one falls. Uh, this also is the kind of time travel story that gives us kind of like alternate future kind of stuff, uh, alternate future histories of the crew. Um, so that will be interesting, of course. Uh, and it's a it's an acting showcase for Rene Abergenois. So uh, let's just get to it. I mean, uh, you know. Yep. Uh, I'm excited too. No time like the present. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Uh, I am queued up on Netflix. Okay. Well, then let's all get ready to press play together. In three, two, one, press play. And they've done a week-long reconnaissance mission in the Gamma Quadrant, which almost, whenever the Defiance returning from anywhere, you know something's going to go wrong. Right. This is kind of an episode that, it's sort of like they're finally getting off the station again. There's There have been a lot of station bottle shows lately. Um... And I don't know if it's because of uh, visitors' pregnancy or what. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I imagine they probably spent a lot of money on a uh, the two-parter and uh, had to balance no, that's, that out. That's true. Uh, you know, I wasn't a big fan of this little tag here to indicate that she had broken up with Shakar because it's like. Uh, and also, it's a stupid reason. Like, <laughs> I mean, maybe if they had telegraphed in some better way that, like. It's one of those, you don't go to ask this question unless you already know the answer type thing. You know what I mean? Where it's like, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have bothered determining if they were meant to be together, if they had no doubts that they were not supposed to be together. Like, maybe that would have made more sense. But it's like, Kira's faith has always been complicated, but I never got the sense that she was blindly blind and stupid about it yeah yeah. and that just so that the the, it was just designed to tidily remove a problem that would otherwise kill the drama of this episode when actually i think given the setup i mean chief o'brien has a wife uh, Worf and dax have a relationship the idea that kira could also have a relationship that she would be abandoning in this construct i don't think would be bad per se can I just ask who this guy is serving coffee? He's is he a, a yeoman. Bet you he's a well. I, I who who else? I mean, you'd like to think you wouldn't get a commissioned officer to be doing that. Though you gotta wonder. Um, it, it's the question I had in the original series too. Who would become a yeoman in this world? Like, who would be a servant in a world of? Uh, eh, let's not go down the road. I mean, it would be like Jake Curlin, like someone who just missed the the entrance requirements yeah. or something. Yeah. But how demeaning. <laughs> okay, I uh, since we're getting to the planet with the with the thing, this is like 
one of the most neatly tailored problems. Like, so it's something they can't examine later. They have to examine it now. And it causes exactly the precise temporal problems that we get. And I'll say this. I'm not bothered. Um, the episode's heft is the ethical decision they're going to be faced with and the character moments that we're going to get. So since the, ep- it's not like um, past tense where the um, silly construct felt integral to the plot and drove the plot. This is just the plot. The plot has been established. That's done. Thank you. Keep going. So. Uh, yeah. It's also I mean, a good the, effect. The planet with the mystical field around it almost seems tailor-made to, you know, create a Star Trek episode. Uh, also, I think um, I, for a time, for what is a sort of version of a time travel story, I think they solve a couple of the problems inherent in a lot of time travel stories. One, the crew did not actually travel through time. So that's a good start. And by putting, uh, by making the issue in the Gamma Quadrant a millennia before the discovery of the wormhole, you preclude their choices impacting the Federation's past. Certainly the yeah. future, probably, um, but not the past. So they've, they've neatly dovetailed any... Um, of the standard things that drive a time travel story. Um, I will say something I, I did like about uh, uh, the production values of this episode. Um, and we'll get to it more when we're actually in the colony, but I liked the costumes and I like the makeup. They did a good job of, uh, of fading like the Bajoran nose ridges or the trill spots. Like they, or the Klingon makeup, certainly, like, it felt like this is what a handful of these non-human people intermarrying with a bunch of human people for however long the colony lasts um, would look like. And I, I like the yeah. thoughtfulness of the of the makeup work a lot. So the the overall set is nice looking. You know, they've, they've dressed it nicely with plants. It, it feels like um, the colony from the uh, holographic colony episode or mm-hmm. like an open air version of Masterpiece Society. I wonder if there's a, the Meridian. I hesitate to reference that episode because it's awful, but it kind of felt like that too. Like the, you know, large open uh, plaza, like whitewashed uh, plaster building feel. Mm-hmm. They've gotten pretty good at suggesting large open spaces even when it's on a soundstage so yeah i'm cool with it um another thing that passed by without us mentioning it is the resumption of the odo kira story (laughs) i'm filled with a sense of foreboding but also i'm filled with a sense of wait didn't he just do it with well that was the point the writers were talking about uh when like i read that you know in a simple investigation their internal thinking was that this was the coda or like the the finish of his unrequited crush on Kira. This is him moving on. And mm-hmm. they really, really should have stuck with that. Uh-huh. Um, that being said, for what we do in this episode, it it works, I think. Because the only issue is the existence of Odo's unrequited crush on Kira period it lacks it it, it, we're not really going to take the nosedive on this issue until we actually pair them up which oh yeah 
So this is the, this is the only way you can do the story because it bypasses all of the sort of queasy making you know <laughs> scenes between them and just talks about it in the past tense essentially. Yeah. It's like yeah, that I can deal with, and I can deal with his unrequited love. I can deal with his you know sort of quandary you know whether he changes uh, you know his life and all these people's lives because of his love. You know, great. I just can't deal with like them being all goo goo gaga for each other it it just doesn't work and that that has nothing to do with this episode so all i'm, all I'm gonna say is i'm filled with a sense of foreboding and we will discuss it when we actually get to it uh this was the way they could tell this story yeah so you know as a star trek fan i suppose you're your initial reactions are that maybe it's a it's a ruse, uh, you know, like future imperfect or something. Um, but then, of course, the title of the episode is "Children of Time," which kind of telegraphs that now this is the real deal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the ability to scan DNA for things, uh, <laughs> and the time and the the what I mean, just uh, okay. Here's here's my only problem with a lot of this like from their perspective this is their future and a lot of like telling o'brien you're going to marry ensign tenenbaum one day seems like like is it does he have to now does he lack free will to not do this like i really wonder what the ethics are like like the 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 episode's moral quandary is eventually presented as leave and form the colony or stay and form the colony leave and don't form the colony what if they stayed but would form a different colony or didn't wouldn't make the same choices again? Are they obliged to repeat these people's histories in granular detail? Yeah. Well, I, I kind of have problems with O'Brien moving on to, like, at his age, I mean, he strikes me as 40-ish. Yeah, like he wouldn't need to get married and have kids. He's had his kids. He has well, two kids. Especially He's... after waiting 10 years, because then you'd be like 50-ish. Right. You know? I mean, which again, I it's, it's Star like, Trek. You know, I can but deal with it. Yeah. This was a cute touch. Um, Quark is the uh, computer program. Yeah. Of course, it's a nice way to get him in the episode, too. Yeah. Um, I like the knit hair. I, I like a lot of the knitwear. It it has that feel that I always liked about Bajoran clothing, where it feels like sure it's a, it's a little crunchy granola if that's your thing, but you know it looks like something a collective group of people would choose to wear on a daily basis. You know, as opposed to like eye searing um, jumpsuits. Yeah, or like triangular. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the the hair, the hairnets remind me of. Um, paradise with uh what's her face um and the their their essential selves oh yeah ayn rand <laughs> whatever whatever her name was uh, uh i want to say elixia but that's Neelix's elixis or something yeah elixis that's it yeah okay i mean just just O'Brien's level of discomfort with it is the indication to me that it's really not believable for his character. Yeah. You know? And also, like, it, it, 
meeting this grandchild seems to almost like I mean like it's given that the like I said the whole point the whole moral quandary of this episode is what obligation if any do they have to ensure these people exist and that requires more than simply crashing the ship it requires having the romantic relationships that these people's history say happened and that feels that's one of those like like this really challenges like free will versus self-determination and history like like you know when Matt Frewer's character in in um a matter of time was like you know well this is this is already my history but Picard was like but it's my future and I have as much I have the perfect right to choose how it happens because it's not set in stone for me like that's yeah I'm not saying it derails the episode and it doesn't rob it of tension it's just the nagging thing in my brain listening to this yeah. problem no I agree with that So, you know, at minute 11, we're given the sort of Kira conundrum. Not necessarily. So we're being given, I know I've often mention this and question this, you know, we're being given a sort of linear, uh, mono-universal view of time. Right. You know, that, it, that it has one shape and that, you know, altering it will irrevocably change the shape of the only time that exists. And of course, we've been given slightly different versions in different uh, Star Trek stories. But this is a clever way of kind of getting beyond that. You know, it's like you can have both timelines continue. Even that seems to present a, a um, ethical problem. So, like, their their goal is we'll create two defiants. In one of them, Kira will live, and the other, Kira will die. For the time that they are both existing, they are both Kira. They have mm-hmm. Kira's memories. They are, they are physically, they are identically, quantumly Kira. It seems callous to suggest that because one another Kira will survive, that the Kira who stays behind will somehow just be fine. And eventually they establish that our, our Kira, in fact, is fine dying if she views that as her fate. But it's it's one of those, like, uh, we've talked about this before in, in several other contexts where it's like, the uh, Voyager in uh, in Deadlock, where it's like, the fact that a quantum duplicate of me will survive doesn't make me feel better about my demise. I am yeah. still a me. <laughs> I'm still going to suffer. I'm still going to die. You know, yeah. So knowingly creating a duplicate that you know will suffer and die and have all the emotions and, all, you know, all the pain, it's uh, pretty difficult to justify. And so this is where I would check off gun too. Yeah. You know, putting Odo in this doohickey. And they can lift him up very easily. Odo's mass has always mystified me. The the whole idea of her affliction was kind of technobabbly. Right, it's like me. it's a problem that can only be solved on the station, like Yeah. <laughs> Like, you have replicators. I mean, if it's just an issue of requiring a device you don't have, just build it. 
I, w- I imagine this had to be a fun episode for Aubergine to film just because uh, of the lighter weight makeup. It looks like, I mean, he's still wearing makeup, but it looks more like um, heavy foundation on his actual face rather than a prosthetic appliance per se, like especially around like the nose and like it might just be the nose and forehead appliances and the ears, but not not as heavy elsewhere. It looks like he's really just wearing some eyebrows um, and a hairpiece. Yeah. And of course, his sort of Oompa Loompa makeup, too. And I will say, I like the uh, subtle, the, the subtle changes in the acting, like the, you know, warm, the, the physical contact that uh, Odo tends to avoid in, in our, in our time, I guess. For, for well, he's of... modulated his voice, too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not so gruff. And he just busted it out. I, I'll say this. The episode went in an interesting place. It didn't have this Odo also silently pining for Kira. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, this is something... Because it's always been irritating. No, well, even when it's... Not, even outside this context, I've always found the, like, central story trope that we tell, you know, heterosexual boys that if you don't say anything long enough, eventually she'll be yours because of reasons. And I really just think that's unhealthy. Like it's just a, it's an annoying storyline that feeds into the like women as prizes to be won. And eventually she just has to become smart enough to realize that she was supposed to be with you the whole time, despite the fact you've done nothing to progress the relationship. And I find all of those story tropes deeply troubling. So it's, it's another in a line of like, uh, just, yeah. So I'm glad they at least got it out. If you're going to go with this story, at least get it out in the open immediately. Yeah. I like uh, Odo's outfit. Yeah. I like this dialogue for Kira. That uh, that she she's acknowledging um, that she's empathizing with what it must have been like for him to be her friend, helping her through her romantic whatnot, um, while not telling her about it. Like, I, I, I like that <sighs> touch. I've I've always been like I get you I know what you're about to say because I have the awareness that you'd think Kira would have in that she would just have picked up on Odo like she's a perceptive responsive person who's survived because of her ability to quickly assess a situation accurately so she should have detected Odo's discomfort is that what you're about to say well something along those lines (laughs) I've always been nonplussed by Kira's complete obliviousness to Odo's obvious crushing difficulty being around her all the time you know it it, uh, when he was like making coffee for her and setting the chair in the same spot yeah come on yeah and getting upset when she didn't you know i mean come on well i mean that and that goes back to that whole that whole trope like what you like if you just do this long enough eventually it will work out because she'll know like yeah yeah they're not it, it is an annoying story. I get well, it. Well, and so it's like her coming to this realization now that future Odo finally said he's in love with her. It's like, you know, she's not like smacking her forehead going, oh, my God, how could I be so stupid? You know, that's what she should be saying. Like, I can't believe this escaped me for so long. I've been an idiot. Please forgive me. You know, I... I appreciate that there's a mention. I just I don't think it it encompasses the level yeah. of contrite that she should be. I will say okay, we I like the makeup on the Klingons. I I I think a lot of like 
it, it has a kind of like Viking feel and the, the forehead work is very subtle. I even, I, I wonder if they're consciously referencing like the coloration and, and facial hair of the um, TOS Klingons with this. Cause it, I'm getting that, that read. Um, uh, She-Ra over here on the right though, looks a little ridiculous. Like that's some really good eyebrows, teeth and makeup for a woman who lives killing boars with her bare hands or whatever it is they do just hey whatever she's hot (laughs) (laughs) she is attractive i will absolutely grant you that (laughs) this whole setup gives me uncomfortable birthright echoes i get that here's my question it's been established assuming we have okay we have it we have contradicted quite a bit of the canon established about the trill in the host if uh so if they abandon the idea that only a trill can sustain a trill symbiont at what point like either the trill would become so the trill dna would become so diffuse in the community as to not be sufficient to sustain a trill symbiont or there would be inbreeding or something and that yeah like if, if nothing else dax is living i mean at least for this setup right now the dax symbiont seems to have been passed to a lineal descendant of Jadzia Dax at each step, which means the symbiont remembers living life as its own great, 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 and great, 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 great grandparent, which it just has to be weird. Yeah. Like to remember giving birth to the child who you then eventually inhabit. I mean, come on, you'd remember your own conception, and then I think your entire brain would implode. Have I just missed it? But did they mention how she's had a descendant without Worf? Oh no, no I, I don't want to stop the episode. We we are podcasting here, but uh, did we? What was the what? What did you think she said? Well, no, I, I'm just asking yeah. if anything has been said about the fact that here is this at least half trill or you know mostly somewhat trill, trill not, person yeah. with no Klingon features. Yeah. Hmm. No, I don't think they brought that up. But I think they, I don't know if they mentioned the, I know they mentioned the wedding at some point in this episode because he mentions that Jedzia cuts her hair and Worf didn't yeah, like they, her with the short hair. Yeah, that. yeah. All right, well, we can continue watching. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious about that. <sighs> yeah. I feel like if they're going to go there, they should just go there and show us Rita Tannenbaum and have him have a scene with her. Yeah. This is a terrific uh, backdrop. Oh, it's a beautiful scene. Like, it's not Griffith Park and it's not Bronson Canyon. It turns out there is, in fact, a third location in California. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. No, and it's a yeah, it's a beautiful panorama. And if nothing else, they found a huge stretch of land with literally nothing else on it, which enforces the idea that this is the only settlement on the planet. So I, I like that too, that they didn't just find the one stretch of rock that doesn't have the LA skyline in the background. Yeah. I I gotta feel like they're in the wine country or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just somewhat further afield. Okay, I like the way they pitched Kira's discomfort with this idea. Like, it's it, you would expect her to be gung-ho to save herself, but 
that you know okay that 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 might be our immediate response it might be a human response like given like i found the earlier scene about shakar to be a little leaning too hard into the blind and stupid faith category but this feels a little more in keeping with what we've seen of kira's previous faith declarations it makes sense that she might find using time travel to avoid her death to be more upsetting to the her natural order of the universe than her death itself i can actually believe that so odo has changed but I'd kind of like to know how and why. <laughs> like, him pining for Kira for 200 years makes total sense for the character that we know. But it's not also consistent with that kind of character for him to become, like, all wise and, like, cool and shit. You know if I want, You know where I wonder if, where this is? Is this where they filmed um, the Happy Spore one? That I mean, I might just be rounding up one tree to all trees but is that the tree leonard nimoy swung on when he was all blissed out no no it's this that tree's way this tree is way taller than that tree the the location i was thinking of was maybe where they did uh descent yeah maybe maybe you know i'll say that when terry farrell has her serious face on she's a she's a striking woman it's a good. I love this ponytail. This is my favorite ponytail for her. So this is another interesting uh, wrinkle. In fact, they won't be duplicate. Uh, Yedrin is condemning them to stay, and condemning Kira to death. And I think they could, probably could have gone. So they have these interesting star fruits or <laughs> yeah. whatever they are. Ugly fruit? Yeah. Okay, here's here's my other problem with the... Um argument we're having uh but but for the accident that says going back in time like to go back in time to form these people what if they just accidentally went you know eight thousand years in the future and met their descendants i don't like like captain picard in a matter of time i don't think they would feel a moral obligation to repeat those people's histories like i think they would feel that was an abrogation of their free will also and this is what really gets me the argument is that the fact that these people did exist in this timeline means they should continue to exist in this timeline. But realistically speaking, these 200 people on the Defiant will have other different children. Um, if they go back to the station, for starters, the child he will eventually have with Cassidy. I, I yeah. would argue that Cassidy Yates' child has as much quantum right to exist as the people on this planet and I, well, I, this is the problem with having this mono-universal timeline that can be altered. For all intents and purposes, if and when this timeline ceases to exist, it ceases to exist. And so there's there's really no moral issue with closing it off whatsoever. Right. And so any anybody 
in the position that the crew is in should be able to say to themselves, these people aren't really here. You know, this is just a time-like portion, you know, right. of the universe, but it's going to close off and it won't be a real full-bodied timeline with people and, you know, life and death and all that stuff. Right. I mean, if nothing else, like from Cisco's perspective, he's being shown a possible future. And in every other time they've interacted with the future, they've explicitly stated they have the perfect right, even the obligation to modify their actions so that that future may or may to not make it come better. to yes. make it different. So it's like, yeah, like particularly when you get to the issue of the, the not to go too far afield into politics, but when it comes to things like the, you know, uh, debates about abortions, like, well, if this parent had an abortion, this kid wouldn't be here. Like, well, yeah, but if the parents conceived on a different day, this person wouldn't be here. Like, the, like mm-hmm. there's so like all of all the possible outcomes I'm happy the one that got me here is here, but I don't have as much, I don't have any more perfect right to be quantumly formed than any other permutation of the universe. Like that. Yeah. Just, I, I, I'm not, again, I'm not saying it robs the story of heft and certainly the character interactions. Like it's one thing to say the hypothetical children I might have, should I go back to the station, have as much right to have their, a timeline in which they are in it as you have to your timeline. But that's a different thing when the people in this version are staring you in the face, begging you for help. I understand that that would be a much more complicated thing to do in practice. Um, It just, I, I think the the moral quandary was presented as a little too black and white uh, than it needed to be. Well, you know, I think um, they did a pretty decent job of having Yedrin uh, hold up his end of the of the the argument. Yeah, yeah. Like he's acting for his own self preservation. That's that's not that's not weird. That's that's completely understandable. I'm actually glad they um like as, as artificial and like you know hair splitting as the like Kira will die if they stay she'll live if they go at least it did give a little more stakes to the story like I I feel like had it just been this hypothetical future exists or it doesn't if you choose not to go home is a little blander a version of the um of the story so I I like that there is actual give and take in both directions. Like, you know, it would have been fun. Um, like if, I don't know how they would do this, but what if you knew leaving carried its own risks, like going home might cause a similar accident on the defiant and kill a different crew member. Like those, there, I guess there's a lot of ways they could have, uh, shaken this out. I think blonde Klingon is wearing O'Brien's wig from Apocalypse Rising. <laughs> so like whose kid is he? Right. You know, whose kid is the white Klingon? Did did I'm, I'm, I looked at Yedrin Dax's entry, and there's no indication of his parentage besides being a grand uh, offspring of Jadzia. 
Hey, maybe they did that Mariposa thing where every 50 people is a pretty small town and you're all going to be first cousins real soon. Maybe they did that, uh, you know, three children with well, three different wives. Then thing. why not tell us that? Oh, I that mean. would have been crazy. Uh, that would have, I would have forgiven an, uh, this episode a lot of the insanity. I, I actually, I would have thoroughly enjoyed that. Like, that would have been hilarious. Like, if they intentionally had to be polygamous to create a, a large enough, diverse enough genetic base. Oh, God, O'Brien would have melted. Yeah. Or maybe they're clones. That could, like, what if they're just randomly combining different uh, genomes to create people out of whole cloth? That, oh, God, that that's a fascinating idea. Well, and what would make that interesting and not just a rehash of Up the Long Ladder is that they'd be doing it willingly, voluntarily. Yeah. Okay, again, back to the location, but at a different time of day. Uh, nice lighting. Yeah, the, the, the set people do a great job, but there really isn't quite... There is just not a way in the arts of man to recreate outdoor sunlight perfectly it just doesn't happen like you can always you can always tell the quality of light's just a little off so when we get to actually go outdoors it really does create a tonal shift which i enjoy well and there's just no way you can make all that so the rolling hills with the grass blowing and the sound just the sound that they capture is really excellent (sighs) so kira's argument i just don't see it You know, I mean, it's interesting that they're making one of the crew, you know, dispute the basic solution to the episode. Yeah. But I just. Well, like I said, given what we've seen of Kira's fit, like, you know, there's probably, you know, a dozens of times that Kira's, you know, gone off on a mission or something like during the occupation and thought, well, this could be the time I die. And like, she's probably had so many near misses and accepted the reality of her death so many times just to get through the day that now that she's seen it happen, it might not actually hold sway for her. It's it, it, like I said, especially because she's not human. I, I'm, I have an easier jump that she would accept the inevitability of her death as a foregone conclusion a little differently. And, uh, and if nothing else, it does provide a platform to have this conversation. I, they always have, I think they should have made it clearer what her justification was. Like maybe she had a religious experience or they always have these meetings in the mess hall. And I'm like, did they really not have room for a conference room on this ship? Well, it seems reasonable. Yeah. It's pretty small. I like the wind turbines. That's very, very green of them. Yeah. And, uh, Pretty early green, yeah, kind yeah. Of sentiment for the mid '90s. I mean, it really just makes sense, you know, given their the small nature of the settlement and the fact that they're on these big hills. And so they're going to have a nice, big, emotional sort of, uh, you know, we're going to plant no matter what. Yeah, I'm surprised there isn't a bit more uh, 
you know, so like Yedrin is trying to conspire to make things happen. None of these other people are like freaking out. Get in someone's face. And yeah, yell, other than like, Miranda, a little bit. Yeah. Hmm. It's like a future plow. Well, I was. I just assumed that was a piece of the ship they like beat yeah. into a plow. Like they beat the divide into a plowshare. You know, I'm going to say it. farming is always presented a little more romantically on in media than I believe it occurs in real life. And if, given what I've been for what I've been given to understand about the actual process of subsistence farming, it is a grueling like 12 hours a day, seven days a week, six months out of the year job. Um, it, well, and I'd like to know. Why is this the planting and not the planting that took place when they planted all of those plants and then wrapped them up and had them all in dirt already? Like, yeah. where was that planting? Yeah. Because <laughs> you just put a seed down. This is transplanting. This isn't planting. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. It, it, they, uh, farming is always depicted as gardening on TV, and I'm just like, it, it's, it's, it's a little more intense than that. Yeah. But again, great outdoor shots. I agree with you. I do. I'm. I am. I. I do think this is wine country. Maybe they're planting vineyards. Yeah. Oh, the others. Bring the others, but don't hurry. Yeah. So far, I've only seen the blonde Klingon again. And what are they planting? I mean, those look like bushes to me. I mean, they don't look like saplings. I guess it's some alien... You know, fruit-bearing plant or something. Gelm bread. Okay, so it's some kind of cereal. It doesn't look at all like a cereal it grain. It doesn't. It really does not look like a grain. We are pedantic and picky. I'm just putting that out there. Well... So, I mean, it's what Someone's we're here for. We started a Star Trek blog on the internet. I mean, really. I mean, I think there are some expectations. Um, I, I don't... I, I'm not going to understand O'Brien's change of heart when it happens. Well, so it's like the, these adults haven't told their children what's going to happen, um, which seems kind of... I don't know. Is it right or wrong? Well, it's it not cruel? like they're it's not like they're going to die. They are not going to experience death. They're simply going to quantumly have never existed. I mean, how do you explain quantum disentanglement from to your child? I mean, like it, it's not like they're going to like as far as I could tell and let, barring some metaphysical thing that they couldn't explain anyway it's not like they're going to experience their never existing i mean i don't know how you experience that so i guess yeah. it doesn't bother me in now in the same way that 
you know, I'm mystified by the fact that no one, none of the 8,000 people are pissed. Now it's like the whole crew is resolute that this is the right thing to do. You know, none of these 80 people or 79 people are like, no, screw it. I, I really do want to go back home. <laughs> you know, I, I've got half of Breaking Bad to finish or, you know, I've got, you know, a wife and children. So I, I, you're absolutely right that O'Brien's change of heart makes no sense. But he should be the one leading the charge, no matter what, to go back home. I mean, were they really all convinced by planting some ferns? Yeah, it's like, like again, I understand the emotional appeal that these, that this version of the future feels more concrete than the other hypothetical versions of the future. I would argue from a purely moral stance that they're all equivalent. Like, like, you know, somewhere Cassidy Yates' baby is waiting to be quantumly generated. And that baby and the babies he'll have and the impact on the universe. I mean, what if, like, the last time we, we ran an alternate future without Cisco on the station, the Klingons won the war and the, like, there was a meaningful impact to, like, what, what if you were convinced that Cisco not going back to the station would eventually cost the Federation the war? Like, yeah. does that make it an ethical decision for the name of 8,000 people on the other side of the galaxy? And again, uh, I think th I think what the episode does, both as a matter of the writer's writing and the characters themselves, they're hanging their hat on the fact that these people exist now physically, as if somehow that more anchors them or more qualifies them to win the balancing act of all possible futures. Well, I think since we don't have the indications that you're talking about of some dire consequences for the prime timeline. It does make emotional sense for the humans here. If they experience the other humans, you know, yeah. face to face. Well, like I said, if the episode started at, instead of the episode being defiant gets stuck, defiant leaves, defiant goes back in time. The defiant could have gotten stuck by going 8,000 years in the future. And I think the moral question would have been perceived differently by the characters like i don't think cisco would think he owes an obligation to a eight thousand year future he would just view it as one of the possibilities but because of the unique hiccup he feels that this thing exists here and now and they have to protect it as part of protecting the present generally which i think is a bit of a false equivalency All right, so they have indeed gotten away. The colony has uh, blinked into non-existence. You know, Dax makes an interesting statement. It had to be someone from the crew. And that indicates that there might be a difference of opinion, but we never got to see that. Oh, no, no. We didn't know. We're about to find out. It's, no, I know. I'm, yeah. I'm just saying... Yeah. Oh, do you mean like, oh, the actual difference of opinion? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's saying it must have been someone from the crew. So, yes, I know it's going to be Odo, but, you know, yeah. it could have been one of the other people. Yeah. Because maybe there was some dissent, as there should be in any group of 80 people. Also, here's a fun, well, so if they, they never existed, how do they remember them? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they remember them because in this view of mono-universal... Uh, irrevocable time travel, they have experienced the time-like curve 
which has been closed. So their experiences are still valid for them. They're just not valid for anyone else who did not experience the time-like curve. Okay, I'll say this. I do like this solution for uh, several reasons. One, if we're going to re-engage the Odo Loves Kira story, we did it in a way that gave consequence to other stories outside Odo's Felix. So, that's interesting. One, uh, that's one. Two, given that that Odo went against the expressed wishes of, of Kira, I think this has to... They're not really going to follow up on it, but I can't blame this episode for it. They a little bit. There, there's a little awkwardness, but like it does change it beyond the mere revelation of Odo's feelings. Odo's actions impact Kira's friendship with current Odo, and that is interesting. Yeah. So I really just wish they had either they if they just picked up Simple Investigation and tossed it into season six instead of doing his way. This would all be fine. You know, her saying, when I told you about Shikara, you seemed so uncomfortable, indicates that she is aware of his discomfort and therefore should have been aware of prior discomfort. She's not a fool. Yeah. So I can only think she's callous. It was just handled really poorly in prior episodes. Yeah. This episode handled it well, but it's too late. Like, she's horrified. And, like, from her perspective, right or wrong, her emotional attachment and perception of this situation is that he's responsible for 8,000 deaths. That may not be metaphysically strictly accurate, but that's not relevant here, is it? Um, and that colors her perception of Odo. That's interesting. That is, you're right. Had they. You know, maybe she was lying. Maybe she was just dismissing it. Maybe she was misreading his discomfort as just Odo does not. Maybe like. she's not attracted to him. You know. Yeah, that also. Like, yeah. As as just about nobody should be because he's not terribly attractive, nor is he terribly nice or charming. Uh, you know. I mean, he he has his moments with like Loxana or Arissa, which actually work when he's being like nurturing like awkwardly sweetly nurturing it actually works i'm like oh you're you're nice almost in spite of yourself and i could see someone going for that um but i i do take your point um they just needed to have better developed this for, if nothing else they needed a woman on staff to be like uh guys this is not how women process being objects of attraction um <laughs> just they needed to call jerry taylor and just run this story like get dc fontana and jerry taylor in a room say your ideas out loud and see what faces they make. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a, well, you know, that's advice for life. I think, yeah. I think they are both really good writers and you should, you should just run ideas by them generally. And that will probably get they you. They should just run a dating service where they give men advice on how to. You know, Specifically like sci-fi nerdy men. Like, <laughs> yeah. here's what you don't do. Um, Pine for years silently. Um, alter timelines. Be creepy. Uh, be strange. You know, yeah. Be overly and persistent. Yeah. Um, the fact that she will later have, you know, changeling sex with him after her reaction yeah, just now. Yeah. Ugh. 
Like, Ugh. well, thinking of to Voyager for a second, they they again play the card of unrequited love, but at least it felt a little more satisfying there because we had a scene where the Doctor was clearly just about to spill the beans and Seven says something to indicate, you know, b- with any, you know, actual ability to process... Oh, she friend zones him. Right. She says, I, like, I couldn't... Like, I forget the co- exactly what she says, but it, she makes it clear that she does not have those feelings at all, so that so he backs off. So that's not unrequited love. That's interpreting a situation to not destroy friendship for nothing. That's a, and that's fine. That's interesting. That's a valid life choice. And then they turn it down. They don't. I don't think they 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 tone down. They don't really carry after that moment. There's not a ton of Doctor pining for seven stuff, as far as my memory goes. I could be wrong, but, but oh, yeah, that's true. So see what happens when you have a woman on staff. She understands how to portray attraction to a woman in a way that doesn't leave us all feeling creepy. Um, okay, it's just you know when the actors have no chemistry and the characters have no chemistry. Don't force it to happen. Well, I know it please. felt like they just picked someone. Like, they, like they did they throw a dart at a dartboard to pick Kira? Like, even like Nana Visitor and Renee Abergenois both said in interviews, it felt vaguely incestuous to do that scene because they they the characters were good friends, the actors are good friends. It felt weird to add this dimension, and they could have just picked anyone else at random. Like, and it felt like random. It's it's like I think a lot of. Um, like, say, the Crusher-Picard stuff grew out of the fact that the actors had amazing chemistry. Like, the little hinty, flirty stuff in Naked Now was like, oh, these actors can really do something. So when they, ever like, three times over the course of the series, they gave us an episode about it. Um, yeah. So Why it, does that feel right and this feels wrong? Yeah. Okay, so... Beyond our issues with the Kira Odo storyline writ large... <laughs> This was an episode and it happened and we just watched it. Um, I like I like the conceit very much. For a time travel story, it solves a lot of the problems of time travel. It excludes the we must preserve things. It excludes the, um, you know, causality loop of it's all destined to be and it will all happen. It's happened before. It's going to happen again. Like we, we, have, we managed to tell a time travel story without engaging in almost any of the time travel tropes. And well, yeah, you know, and cap. what you said about preserving things, there's no, we must preserve things just arbitrarily, you know, the, the, the ethical dimension of the story actually ties to people and not to, and we object- must preserve right, the timeline the as if we're preserving like a national park or something, right. um, which is to some degree less interesting than when there's people in the balance. Yeah. So like uh, my issues with the mechanics and what I feel are some false equivalencies in the moral story. I actually, I really like the debate. Like, I don't know what I would do in that situation. Like I said, I think the fact that these are 8,000 people living and breathing in front of you does at least emotionally shift the calculus of their ex- their hypothetical existence versus other hypothetical existence. So they, I get that. And it's fun to watch the character squirm. I think you, you make a good point. There should have been more... Dis- disagreement in both on both sides like well, that you know if you're going to have the debate really have it you know all of the questions you bring up and you know all of the I, I just feel like they ratcheted down the drama a bit you know like what if the, there were they, a group of people on the planet fine being blinked out of existence because they I mean these are federation citizens essentially they have federation values they 
they're self-sacrificing as a way of life. I mean, like it would have made sense that someone would have said, no, our, our history here does not outweigh the impact on the universe at large that they will have. Should they return home? There is an issue that what if Cisco, the loss of the entire deep space nine command staff on the eve of war with the dominion would be a crushing blow to Federation efforts in the area. Well, and their ship, which is supposed to be this super wonderful battleship. Yeah. So like there's, yeah, that would have been a fun debate. Um, yeah. And again, and even if they had succeeded in the duplicate thing, if I ever find out I'm duplicate, Kevin, I'm going to be super pissed. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, well, pri- I'm primary, Kevin, damn it. <laughs> as much as some people poo-poo Voyager, I think Voyager did a pretty good job with those kinds of, you know, both the Silver Blood and the Deadlock storyline of, you know, indicating that duplicates don't feel like duplicates. They feel like the real one. Um, Deadlock dispenses with it once it establishes it, but yeah. I, um, of course, Oblivion, other than the fact that it has no larger impact on the Voyager story, is a great episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, so many people hate the Silver Blood characters. Well, I, I, uh, I get annoyed because I think it's the most egregious use of the Galactic Reset button. You watch the Voyager crew have an incredibly wrenching experience for an hour and it literally amounts to nothing in the scope of the larger story, which had that been the only time they'd done it, it would have been a poignant aching use of the reset button, as opposed to feeling like of a piece with nothing has consequence here. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I I think their, their lived experience uh, was valid in and of itself, regardless of its connection to the overall story. Anyhow, um, so I think the writing's a four is what I'm saying. It's a really neat idea. There's some very interesting arguments and some very interesting emotions. They are not resolved with the sharpness that I would have liked. Yeah, this feels very three-ish to me for those reasons. I, I feel like they just they lowered the stakes in many places uh, and also assumed things uh, in places. You know, the, the whole emotional conversion in the last sort of five minutes was super quick. Well, like, yeah, like like I said, the, the 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 strongest moral question for me is if they have an obligation to form the colony, do they have an obligation to replay the colony's history page for page? Which be like, I hope Ensign Tenenbaum has a thing for dumpy middle-aged Irishmen because apparently that's what she has to look forward to. Like yeah. it just it it feels very like. And again, it, you know what? I have watched many a Star Trek episode. More in the original series, but overall, many a Star Trek episode that has debated destiny versus free will. It's one of the most basic philosophical debates there is, and it's one Star Trek has done a lot with. I would have been fine if we had had a fifty, you know, forty-three minute debate about free will. Wonder about? Well, yeah, I mean, it could have been interesting to have some of them. Uh, I don't know, see that you know the offspring that they were supposed to have, and then be so turned off that they you know, decided then and there to never do it with that person. And then to watch those people wink out of existence. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, acting wise, I think everyone turned in a good job. I like the guest cast. I like the main cast, whatever our issues with the words coming out of their mouths. I think everyone delivered them. Well, like I bought the internal depth of Kira's position. I liked, Odo, uh, Odo's display of emotions was pitched perfectly. It was quietly intense, not groaningly intense. Yeah. 
Um, yes, that that was definitely a big improvement over Prime Auto. Um, you know, he's not like oh, feeling pain. Um, groaningly intense is a good way of putting it. Um, yeah, and I liked uh, Gary Frank as Yedrin. I thought he yeah, did a fine yeah. job. What el- what else was he in? Was he in something else in Star Trek? No, huh. he was not. You know, he reminds me visually of the uh, other Ocampa guy in a uh, Cold yes. Fury. Yes, yes, yes. Um, no, no other Star Trek appearances. Uh, production wise, um, I think this beautiful was locations, great. Yeah, beautiful uh, location shots. Um, good, good costumes, good makeup, good hair. Just yeah, just they're fully. And actually, that did help the underlying. It did help the story along a little because had it not felt like a real place, I wouldn't have cared. I am at least superficially concerned that these 8,000 seemingly very nice people no longer exist. If there were a solution that lets Kira live, doesn't cause a moral episode, and lets these 8,000 people continue their agrarian existence on this nice planet, I would have been all for that plan. Like, so I cared enough about these people to be bothered they're gone. I don't think enough to want to sacrifice my life to make it happen, but I get it. I liked them. They were a nice, likable place. Well, yeah, I mean, I think because of the lack of internal dissension and conflict, they seemed a little less real. Mm -hmm. It's like, here are 8,000 people who basically all have the same opinion. It was kind of like in the 37s, you know, when we didn't get to see New Berlin. Oh God, yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> so we did. We did get to see this colony, but we didn't really get to. I don't know to really know it. Um, yeah. And maybe that's asking too much of forty-three minutes. Yeah. But um, overall, this is a three for me. Uh, I, I think it's tantalizing, but not satisfying. Um, and I, I'm not going to fault it for. Had this been the end of Kira Odo, it would have been a fine end. It's like, no, I can't have sex with you. You murdered 8,000 people because you're creepily attracted to me. Not going to happen. Like, that I could deal with. And so I'm not penalizing the episode for the Kira Odo angle. I think this was the best way you could do the Kira Odo angle, is to show how alien Odo is and the lengths it will make Odo go to and how unacceptable those lengths would be to a person like Kira, who is all about uh, the preservation of life and uh, people having the right to fulfilling their destinies and, and living full lives. I mean, that was her whole modus operandi during the occupation. You know, it's like she cares about farmers who live places and do things and live full lives, you know, and so she, Odo sentencing these people to oblivion is somewhat similar to yeah. the Cardassians sentencing Bajorans to, you know, servitude. It's usurping their, their ability to, to flower and grow, you know? Uh, anyhow. Um, I'm going to, I, I think this is a four. I think particularly on the strength of the production values and just the, interesting star trekness of this pro this this feels like it could have been an original series episode or even a next gen episode in 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 the right iteration but this this feels like they they found a great star trek problem to tell with the deep space nine cast 
And in the balance, it, it falls short of a five for the philosophical mushiness of the problem and the lack of dissension on either side of the uh, of the issue. But I think in the aggregate, this is a this is an above average episode. Uh, I I want to give it a four, <laughs> but I can't. I just can't do it. Um, to me, it falls in, in the. You know, I don't hate the episode. I enjoy it while it's on the screen. I just, it has too much. I wish it did this. I wish it did this. I wish it did this. You know, for me to say four. You know, to me, a four is really, really good and really satisfying. You know, this leaves me curiously unsatisfied, despite having been entertained. Um, you know, they're going to do the uh, Molly episode later, which is actually a strikingly similar premise. Yeah. Um, and I remember liking that one a lot more because I feel like they really they really raised the stakes emotionally in ways that this episode I agree did not. on that. I remember disliking that one just because I thought the setup was so hokey. Like what park has a time portal in it? Like just this, <laughs> I thought this wasn't this like a Bajoran moon or something like it. it that, yeah, well, it's like a, like a rabbit hole for Alice or something. Yeah, We'll get there when we get there. Um, but yeah. Okay. All right. Seven. I, I think I, I can, I get what you're saying. I think your arguments are what keep it from a five, not what keep it from a four, but, uh, there's a reason we have two two editors here. Um, still a good episode. Certainly not a bad episode. A two yeah. was never in the cards. It's solid. Yeah. Um, at, at the very least, the production and acting render it solid. Yeah. You know, I, I'm never bored. Yeah. It was well paced, uh, which cannot be said for some recent episodes. Um, you know, it it did tickle the part of my Star Trek brain that wants to be tickled, which DS nine doesn't always do, you know, the sort of, uh, pondering the limitless possibilities of existence kind of thing, um, which should indicate which my favorite series is. Um, you know, I just, I, I feel like it was, uh, it was a solid single, you know, it's not an extra base hit. If you ask me, mm. it sounds like you say it's a, a double to the wall. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. I, I, I think this is a I. Seven out of ten is not a bad score, certainly. Um, but that's that's what uh, that's what this one gets. Um, I think our next podcast uh, we've scheduled is going to be uh, in the cards, right? Yeah. All right. That one is just unadulterated fun. It's. Um, <laughs> I agree. It, it it actually serves like. The whole point, the, the internal point of that episode is like the the calm before the storm of the coming war, and it achieves it. Like, if nothing else, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of that episode when it first came out because I still didn't like Jake so much. But on rewatch, it's a delightful, it's a delight. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that podcast. Yeah, that's one that Kelly and I have always enjoyed. Uh, well, uh, we here at the Solus Minions of Orthodoxy um, need to get some sleep because it is after midnight here. Um, yep. So uh, it's seven out of ten for uh, for children of time, and uh, we'll see you next uh, for the next podcast. Okay. Good night. <laughs>